Okay. Hey, everybody. Uh, good afternoon. Um, Joe, uh, when I was looking at you up here, I just want to say your button down looks great. The color is very similar to mine. Okay, so it looks real good. Um, but hey, everybody, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, and I'll read that for us. If you don't have your Bibles, they're going to be up on the screen right before me. And today's word is something I'm personally really excited for, and I'm really excited for it because just it's going to be good because we're talking about something called the perseverance of the saints. And that's something that has carried me personally in my life. And I hope as we kind of unpack this together that it'll do the same for you. And for those of you who are in the midst of your fight in faith right now, that it's going to encourage you. And you're going to feel strength to keep walking and to keep journeying. And so this is the word of God. Paul speaks in Romans 8, verse 31. He says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, first and foremost, my name is Andre, if we haven't met yet, and I'm uh, the, one of the, not one of the, the, the college pastor here. And um, if you're new or visiting us today, just want to say welcome to you. Hopefully, before you get to leave, you'll be able to meet some cool people, say hi to some people um, before you leave. And I promise you, we are a warm community. And so please take the moment to stop, say hi to somebody, and get to know someone. Uh, with that being said, Guys, I don't know if you have noticed, but we're coming to an end of our sermon series, and for the past couple of weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Gospel Clarity, okay? And uh, I get to preach on something called Perseverance of the Saints today, and then next week at our outdoor service, uh, Pastor Dave is going to close it out with glorification, and that's going to be our sermon series. So if you missed anything in the past previous weeks, go to our YouTube channel. You can find all the sermons there or our podcast on Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, Okay public service announcement uh, for all of us. And, but today, I get to talk about something called Perseverance of the Saint. And I don't know if you have heard about this before. I, I was able to talk to some college students and some people this past week about what I was preaching on. And as soon as I said Perseverance of the Saints, they were just like, what is that? Like, why does it sound so epic? Why does it sound so like as if like Game of Thrones-esque type of thing where it's Perseverance of the Saints? And because when I think about this, I think of uh, Christians, right? I think of Christians with sword, with shield, with armor, and their armors are, battle, are battered, they're bruised, their sword is used. And I just feel like they're, they're, they're fighting and continually persevering on in this fight. And while very much so, I can preach this message in such a way that says, just persevere. 
right? It sounds like that's what I'm saying. It's about saints, it's about Christians, it's about believers who are persevering when everything comes against them. And while that's a biblical truth, that's not what this is about, per se. You know, a lot of scholars, they said, perseverance of the saints, it, it, it has a tone and a message of it's all about us persevering and that's what it's only about. But R.C. Sproul, a pastor and a theologian, he said, rather than perseverance of the saints, what if we change the P to the preservation of the saints, right? Because then it gets us to ask the question, who's doing the preserving? Is it me, the Christian, the saint, or is it God? And that's what perseverance is about. It's about God who preserves his people all the way to the very end. But for just to letting you know, for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to refer to this as perseverance of the saints, just for clarity purposes. And I'll keep reinforcing, but it's God who's doing the preserving. And so this is a biblical doctrine that says the Christians who are really met by God, who have tasted his grace, you don't have to worry that you're going to lose your faith because God is the one who holds you all the way to the very end. Okay? That's what this sermon is about. If you are a Christian in this room today and you have tasted the grace of God, the promise is that God will sustain you and he commits to holding you all the way to the very end. And R.C. Sproul, he says this, true Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never total and final falls from grace. So just because I said he's going to hold you doesn't mean you're not going to go through ups and downs. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through moments where you're so sure of your faith, like you can tell a mountain to move and it'll move, or in moments where you feel like your faith is so low and you don't even know who you're praying to at times. The promise of this truth is that regardless of your mountains or your valleys, your highs or lows, your faith is going to be secured so you can rest. And I love the song we sang at the cross, that last thing where it said, um, and as the earth fades, and falls from my eyes. And the, mo- and the day that I get to stand before you, if there's one thing I know, it's that you love me. That's the perseverance of the saints. That's what it's all about. And I hope it encourages you today. And so I'm going to read Jude 24 to 25. Okay, that's not our main teaching text, but I just want to read this for us to, again, support what I'm talking about before we get to Romans 8. And this is what Jude 24, 25 says, and this is what we're talking about. Now to him, him being God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. This is what it's about. And my hope for us today, I have two points for those of you who take notes. The two questions I want to ask today that I want us to unpack together is question number one, as Jude 24, 25 told us, who is the one keeping our faith? That's my first question. Who is the one that's doing the preserving? It's God. And question number two, and what does this mean for me on a Monday morning? Okay, I'm not talking about what does it mean for me Sunday when you're saturated with Christian music, Christian people, Christian things, but I'm talking about what, what does that mean for me on Monday when I wake up all over again and I, I forgot what the songs that I sang the day before and the sermon that I heard. Like, what does this truth that I'm preserved by God going to do for me on a Monday morning? And those are the two questions. So let's start with the first question. Who is the one keeping our faith? And 
you might, it's a rhetorical question, right? And some of you might think that's very laughable at how simple it is, but the reason I wanna pause here and ask this question is because if we were to really look at our hearts, I don't think we always have a clear answer to this question, right? I mean, who's the one keeping your faith? I could ask anyone here right now and you would be like, God, Jesus, like Sunday answer. And you're right, you're not wrong. But the question I wanna ask is like, how do you know that? How do you really know that it's God keeping your faith and not something or someone else? And I ask because, you know, I think it's so easy for us to, to keep going through church and our Christian faith, understanding these truths, but they never internalize in our hearts. And so that's why when push comes to shove and maybe moments of hardship or suffering come, we don't know who to hold on to because although we knew how to recite the right answers, it never landed in our hearts. In such a way, it formed our convictions and it compelled us to believe in something greater. And my hope that as we ask this question is that it's gonna be a seed planted in our hearts that produces a tree of faith that can't be uprooted, but something will have something tangible to hold on to. Because if, if, you, if your life was anything like mine the past two years, it was nothing short of hardship, uncomfortable moments, uh, maybe moments of loss and things like that. And that's where this sermon comes in handy. And, and I love the fact that it's placed towards the end of our sermon series because this is just one of those things that when you need hope, you can tap into this and it's gonna give it to you. And so when we see our text, we, when we see what Paul is saying in Romans 8, okay, we gotta first, it's gonna show us who Paul is talking to, okay? Because when you see Romans 8, He's talking to the church of Rome, right? And, when I, and the church of Rome are not people who've never heard of Jesus before. If anything, Paul has heard of them for a long time. And these are Christians who build up quite a reputation for themselves, who of the gospel being preached and leaders being made, like, like Pastor Dave and Joe was talking about, people receiving the gospel, being trained, and, and then sending the message across. And Paul is talking to them right? But when you see our text, he asks seven rhetorical questions to these people who know Jesus, who do church, who are part of small groups, who are, or, who are I'm sure, doing outreach, and he's asking them seven rhetorical questions. Why? You know, for some of our college folks, if our parents are asking you rhetorical questions, why are they doing that to you? It's not because they don't know the answers, because they want to make sure you know the answer. And in the same way, that's what Paul is doing when he asks these questions. He's saying to the Church of Rome, I know, you, I know you've been taught the gospel. I know you do this church thing really well. And I know that, you know, your community looks great on the surface, but you're missing one thing. And the questions he asks is him emphasizing that one thing again and again and again. And what is that one thing? He's saying, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Because although this church was doing really, really good things, because they forgot the gospel, the main thing, there was internal division, right? They were, they were putting people into social classes, who's better, who's not as good. Why? And Paul's answer, his remedy to these people is, because you forgot the gospel. And for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a really long time, what are some areas that we just can't seem to get right? Or what are some of the areas we just keep not understanding and we feel like we're hitting a ceiling in our relationship with God? I feel like Paul's remedy to that would be because you forgot the gospel. 
And that's, again, why we've been in this sermon series for the past couple weeks. And so when you look at this text, he, he does a lot of fun literary things in to, to emphasize and show us the gospel, okay? He does seven rhetorical questions. He, asks, he, he uses the word who 11 times, okay? And he refers to the first person plural pronoun 11 times, we, us, our, okay? And when you look at verse 31, Paul asks uh, this rhetorical question. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Did you get that? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he does that throughout the passage. And, and this question pretty much embodies his main question he's getting at. Because the church at Rome forgot this. And I feel like for a lot of us, when we read verse 31, we forgot it too. Right? I could, I could ask you the question, hey guys, do you know that if God is for you, who can be against you? And I think a lot of us be like, yeah, amen, like I know, I sang those songs, but when really, again, when push comes to shove and suffering begins to come at us, we actually look at that question and we say, actually, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if God is for me. I kind of feel like he's against me. And, and because Paul knew that the Church of Rome was asking that same question, he wants to make sure they get it. And before, and before we really start um, I guess just, again, looking at the perseverance of the saints, this is what we have to realize when we talk about this topic, this biblical doctrine, because this is what perseverance of the saints is about. It's about you knowing that God is not against you, but he is for you, but we have a hard time believing that. And I wish I could end the sermon and say, it's that simple, just believe it. But all of us know how difficult it is to actually believe this truth on a day-to-day life. And so even though we see this verse, we have so many other questions going on. And I think verse 31 hits at a, a, a point of kind of like contention and doubt that we feel in our hearts. And there's a small word in verse 31 that I don't know if you've noticed. It's a tiny, but it's a mighty word. And it, it really gets to the heart of whether we believe this or not. And it's the word if. I don't know if you caught that. In verse 31, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He said, if. And for a lot of us, that, I think that can resonate, right? Because oftentimes, I think when, you, when we read sermon, when we listen to sermons, when we sing Christian music, when we go to small group, when we read Christian books, in the back of our heads, we say, this is so good, but I don't know if it's true for me because I'm not sure if God loves me, right? And I feel like a lot of the ways... We can feel that way is because it's if I stop committing, committing these sins, God will love me. If I go to church every Sunday, God will love me. God, and God is only going to keep me and I'm only really going to be saved until the very end if I do what I need to do all the time and I don't fail and I don't mess up. If I can do that, that's when I'm going to know that God really loves me. So what we do in our Christian faith is we attach uh, our performance to our security. So how many of us, when you're having a really good Christian week and things are going really well and, and you, go, you enter small group or, or your Zoom room and, and you talk about God, you're like, this was a really good week. I feel really close to Jesus. Did my QTs. Uh, I, I, I texted somebody. I'm praying for you. I feel really good. 
But then in the moments, we don't do that well, right? Like, oh, I've been missing out on QT. I've been in my Bible reading plan for the past couple months, but I'm like 48 days behind. Like, I don't really know. Like, some of that, that was real for some people. Um, And so it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm as secure with God right now. Because we keep attaching our performance with the security God says, I'm giving you, that has nothing to do with our performance. And that's the same thing Paul is getting at. And do you want to know how I know a lot of us wrestle with a lot of us wrestle with this? Well, it's because I had a lot of conversations with our college students about this. A lot of conversations where, where they said, you know, I feel like well, I prayed for this, I asked God for this, but he's not giving it to me. And I would be like, well, why do you think that? And then, and then they would say, he just doesn't like me. He's just out to get me. He doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want to see me succeed. And while that's very funny on a college level, I think a lot of us carry that as we get older and mature in our life where it's probably because of that sin I'm not being blessed right now that I keep committing. Or it's probably because I just can't be a a good parent or whatever or a, a good steward of something that I keep messing up. It's my sin that's not allowing me to feel secure in my relationship with God. And if that's us in this room, I want to encourage you that that's just not true. That is not true. And the reason it's not true is because God doesn't say no to you because he's up in heaven and he has nothing better to do but to think about how he can mess up your life. It's not why he says no to you. It's not why he says no to me. The reason he says no to a lot of us is because he's God. He's not a genie you rub his belly and he says yes for you. He's not a robot where you compute things and you press enter and the outcome says success. It doesn't work that way. But God is a God he, he, who knows all things, who has a mind of his own. And because he's, he's not afraid to come against what you might want, he's okay with saying no, even if it means it might hurt us in the moment because he's God. And he sees things we don't see, but also it's because he's really good. And as he, as he is a father for us as, and we're his children, he, because he wants to see our life flourish, he's willing to say no to us at times. And, and I, I was thinking about this this week, and I just thought it was so funny because, you know, a, a, a mentor of mine one, once asked me, I was in this exact position too, and I was just venting to him. I was like, why does, not God, why does God not want me to succeed? And he asked me this question. He said, hey, like Andre, um, do you know, like, does God love Jesus, right? Like does, God, like, does God love Jesus? And I was like, it's a dumb question. Like, yeah, of course he loves Jesus. And then he, was, he asked me, yeah, well, does God love you? And I said, I'm not really sure. And then he just opened his Bible, and then he began to take me to all of these places that said, well, it says that Jesus died for you so that you can receive his love. It says that in our, in our, in our trespasses, we were once dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, gave us this grace and this love. And, and so he said, like, why do, you have a, why do you have such a hard time believing that God loves you? But you're so confident that God loves Jesus, but Jesus died for you so that you can believe in this thing. And it might seem like, it might seem like I'm only talking to Christians right now, and, the, and that's because I am. Paul's not talking to non-believers here in Romans 8. He's talking to people who know God. And I feel like the message of this perseverance of the saints, it's for Christians. It's for Christians who are in the midst of fighting and just not sure where they, where they stand with God. 
to encourage us. And for those of you who might not be a Christian in this room, the hope is that as you see the compelling story of God's grace, that it's going to want to move you to being, there's something beautiful about this. And the reason I keep tapping into this area of doubt is because doubt is going to keep you from being sure about God's love for you. I truly believe if there's one thing that's going to come against us in our Western 21st century Christianity, it's doubt. It's doubt of just us not knowing who God is and his goodness and his faithfulness. But what Paul is trying to show us when he says, if God is for you, who can be against you? He gives us these questions that, that we see when he says, he who did not spare his own son in verse 32, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, us give him, uh, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Paul really wants to turn our ifs into because. That's what he really wants to do. He doesn't want us to be, say, if God is for us. He wants us to say, because God is for us, who can be against us? The, the attitude and the perspective from if to because, it's really different. If God is for you, who can be against you? Because God is for you, who can be against you? That's the confidence we're talking about here. And the way you answer that question is going to change the way you read verses 32 to 35. Because the way 32 to 35, Paul is building on an argument. He's working from the greater to the lesser, and, and he's just he's going down this staircase. And I want to try to do something for us that's going to help us kind of understand, like, how is this connected? And uh, there's, a, there's a pastor uh, and a counselor that I've really come to love and respect, and his name is David Paulison. Okay, and he's a counselor, uh, he's a teacher, he's a professor, and he made a lot of good work in the Christian counseling realm. And he, he, he produced this work called Anti-Psalm 23, okay? And he, he wrote something called Anti-Psalm 23. And Anti-Psalm 23 is pretty much Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's that vert, is that chapter, but from the position of doubt, okay? So he kind of rewords it in like, the Lord is not my shepherd, right? And then he does that argument from the greater to the lesser. And so I got inspired by that. And so I created my own edition of Anti-Romans 8, okay? And don't email me. Okay, I'm not preaching scripture here. I'm exercising my creativity to hopefully for a lot of us who are in that position of, I don't really believe Romans 8. I hope it's gonna hit a, like a strike a chord with us, okay? So this is not scripture, okay? Please don't email me. Romans 8, okay, 3135, anti-Romans, okay? This is, this is what I think it's gonna say. God is not for me, he is against me. I've been told at church that God gave his one and only son for me, and now I'm trapped to give God my whole life. I feel like I never measure up in my relationship with God. I have to justify myself. Who is to condemn, you ask? Jesus. He's looking down at me from heaven, seated at the right hand of God, shaking his head in disappointment. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ, you ask? Everyone and everything. My temptations, my insecurities, my job, my children, my spouse, and the list goes on and on and on. And I'm not more than a conqueror. I'm just less than everyone and everything else. Um, and I think when we get verse 31 wrong, I think this is how we begin to process our Christian life. 
God is just against me in every single way. He's against my joys, my desires, my wants, my plans. Um, and if that's true, that means God didn't give me Jesus, but only to, so that I have to pay him back, like it's like a debt. And if Jesus' work was not enough to secure my salvation, but that means I have to work for it now, but I've been doing this for seven years and I know I will never measure up and I can never work for it. And if that's the case, that means I have to do everything to not sin and to keep myself pure, unblemished, right? The Christians call it not fall. Like, like what does that mean? You know, like, I gotta do whatever it takes to not sin. And, and we all know that's not possible. And that leads us to what? Then I really am condemned. That means then this, this faith thing, I can lose it just like that because I can't maintain my faith. I can't be the, mas the, like, the master of my destiny. I can barely wake up on time in the morning and I'm working from home. And it's like, it's just I can barely do these things. And that's why I really want us to see this anti-Romans 8. It's a narrative I think exists in a lot of us. And we don't know what to do about it. And let me kind of show us again how this like anti-Romans 8 plays out. If, if all of God, if his sole mission is against you and you really believe that, that gives us an orphan spirit in our hearts, right? We had the orphan sermons, uh, the sermon a couple weeks ago, and Pastor Jim Bob's wife, uh, Hannah, she gave a beautiful uh, a testimony about how for us, in an orphan spirit, we, we can never trust God or Father. We never trust because he's always out to get me. He's never gonna give me enough. And if I feel that with God, how is that gonna play out in my life around me with people? It has to be that my, my perception with people is then, people are always gonna be out to get me. I can never really trust this person because he's gonna use me and then throw me. And then what am I gonna do after that? So this sin, this sin of disbelief, uh, and I'm not saying doubt is bad, guys. Like, please don't hear me. That's not what I'm saying. I think doubt, when addressed well with a good community, it can become a powerful thing like antibodies uh, in, your, in your body, right? And so doubt is a really good thing, and you need to be able to doubt, in your, but you also are gonna have to be able to uh, kind of like respond to the doubts in your hearts. But the doubt, disbelief I'm talking about is the doubt where you really believe God doesn't love you. That's the one I'm talking about because the Bible leaves no room for that. God is very clear that he loves his people, okay? And, and, and so when we don't believe that, everyone is just out to get me. That means then you're just constantly working for your approval, working for your worth, and whenever you don't measure up, everything in your life falls apart. But the reason, I, the reason Paul wants to make the gospel so front and center is so that we would know that we don't have to fall apart when nothing goes our way. Because if you lived life for more than one year, you know a lot of things don't go your way. And that's where the perseverance of the saints, this idea that God promised you that he's going to keep you, he's going to, he's going to walk with you and preserve your life because of Jesus that's what's going to give you security when everything falls apart. You can keep standing again and again and again. What Paul talks about in 31 to 35, right, when he says, didn't he give Jesus? Like, God gave his one and only son to show you and I, Christians, in this room that he loves you. What more is he keeping from you? He justified you in Christ. Who is to condemn? If there's anyone to condemn, it's Jesus, but he doesn't. But rather, what does Jesus do? 
he takes on your sin. And this is where I want us to take a look at the gospel, okay? Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 says this. Okay? If you, if you hear anything from, from me today, I think this is what I want us to really, really hold on to. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, being rich in mercy. And I, and I love the way Paul uses this verse because it's as if, it's as if in, in, like in Ephesians and in Romans, Paul is just so good at like answering the questions you're thinking. You know what I mean? Like, you know when you read Romans and you're reading what Paul says, but then you're always like, yeah, Paul, I hear you here, but what do you think about this? And then Paul in the next verse, he answers your question that you're thinking. Like, I think that ma- that's, that's what makes a really good pastor and a good preacher. Like, and I think Pastor Dave is really good at it as well. Like, to be able to hear your questions and respond to it in your sermon. And that's what Paul is a mastermind. And that's why it's as if he's saying, like, hey, guys, I know you're thinking, but I don't know if God loves me. I know you're thinking. I don't know if there's anything in this Christian faith I can hold on to. But he says, hey, but God. But God. But God but God, but God. And that anti-Romans 8 that I just told you about, what Paul is saying, that actually is our reality apart from Christ. That's what he's actually saying. He's saying that reality of God was against you. Paul in Ephesians 2, 4, 5 says that was true because in verse 5 he says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what is he talking about there? When he says, when we were dead in our trespasses, he said it's because of our, our sin, it's because of us doing whatever we wanted to do that, um, that we were dead in our trespasses. And guys, like, I find myself like, uh, I feel like every time I'm up here, I like talk about sin all the time. Um, and I'm really sorry. Um, like, I don't know why, okay? But it's just uh, like, I, I kind of caught myself doing that this sermon and the last sermon. But trust me, I'm not one of those guys that only talks about sin and then never talks about grace. Grace is coming, okay? So sit tight. Um, and, and, he, and he says, when we were dead in our trespasses, he's saying, yeah, you weren't alive before apart from Christ. Yeah, you actually, God was against you. He was against you because we never wanted him because we kept doing what satisfied our hearts and our desires, and I don't blame you. I'm like that too, a lot of the times. And that Romans 8 that I read for us, that was so silly, um, but he's saying that's, that, that was our reality. But when Paul, he flips it back in verse 35, and he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? We can say no one and nothing. We can say no one and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ because that reality of anti-Romans 8, someone took it on. And it wasn't our reality anymore, but someone else started to live that life where God turned against him and, and, and where this person who was life, who was hope, who was joy personified, he took on all of the opposite and he took on that reality. And the good news for us, guys, is that Romans 8 wasn't written the way that I read it. Like, thank God it wasn't written the way that I read it. Because if it was, there's no hope for us. 
But Romans 8 is actually filled with so much hope, with so much life. And the reason for that is because our worst fear of being far from God and that trickling down to every area of our life, it happened to Jesus. You know, on the cross, Jesus was separated from the love of God for six hours. So when we ask, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God or who was separated from the love of God? The gospel tells us it was Jesus. On the cross for six hours, he was separated because our original condemnation was placed on him. And, and the, the list of sufferings and trials Paul lists out in verse 35, like tribulation, distress, persecution, pain through the sword, hands and whips, that reality may not be true for us right now in, in, a, in, in the Western Christian world that we live in, but it's true for some people that I'll get to at the end of our sermon, but it was also true for God. It was also true for Jesus. If you read the gospel narratives, he was persecuted. He did face distress. He was famined. He was homeless. And on the cross, Jesus didn't hang up there fully clothed. He hung up there naked without any covering for the world to see. That was supposed to be our cross, our suffering, and our shame, but the love Jesus had for us saved us from that. Jesus took on anti-Romans 8 so that we could take on the real Romans 8. But then, but more than that, he didn't just do those things, but Paul also tells us that he, he raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of God, and what is he doing? He's interceding. Like, when I read this verse that Jesus is interceding, that caught me off guard. And the reason that caught me off guard was because it was fascinating to me to hear that Jesus actually prays in heaven, right? Like, think about it. Like, I always thought prayer is something you do on this earth. But in heaven, there's no need for prayer, right? And from our perspective, that's true. When we enter heaven one day, we there won't be anything to pray for because everything that we ever desired in this life in the wisdom of God, it's given to us. But it says Jesus is in heaven and he's praying. But what is he praying for? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's praying for his saints. He's praying for his people that they will not lose their faith. And uh, one more passage, John 17 verse 9 to 12, we see a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life and he says this, Jesus is praying, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, okay? But he's praying for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, God's people. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. And he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Keep, he's, he's literally praying, keep my people, keep your people in your name. If there's one person's prayer that can never fall short, we got to know it's Jesus's. And what is the prayer Jesus is praying for? That his saints, that his people will be kept by God for the rest of their lives. What more assuring word do you need than that? That God is in heaven, fully victorious, fully alive, fully strong, and he's praying for you. So what does that mean? That means sometimes when you feel like your prayers are just hitting the roof and it's not getting to God, 
you can keep praying those prayers because you know, you know that you have Jesus who is not stopping to pray for you. And he's interceding always for you, always and always. So when you feel like you're just in the dark and there's just no way out, you can have so much strength that he's praying for you. So who is the one that's keeping your faith? It's God. And how did he prove it to you? He gave Jesus to you. And how will he not give you graciously everything else that comes with it? And it's the gospel, guys, that you can't lose your, I'm talking to Christians, again, Christian, the reason you can't lose your faith is because you can't undo the gospel. You can't lose your faith because you can't undo what Jesus did for you. But it's fully secure and fully strong so you can hold fast. So what does this mean? My last question. So what does this mean for me on a Monday morning? If God is the one who keeps my faith, how does that affect my life right here, right now, as some of us have begun commuting back into our offices? Um, I'm so sorry. As I'm making my children breakfast and as I unpack my belongings in my dorm room for the first time, what does the truth that God is keeping my faith, what is it gonna do for me? And it's really simple, and it means you can persevere through anything this life may throw at you. Verse 37 says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And now that word, guys, conquerors, um, it's actually better translated to prevail completely or to have complete triumph. So Paul is saying, no, in all of these things, no matter what we might face, we can have confidence that we will have complete triumph over anything this life may throw at us. If God keeps your faith eternally, what is there that you cannot go through temporarily? Right? That, that, that's what we're talking about right here. And I think the reason in verses 38 to 39 when Paul lists all these extremes, height or depth, depth angels nor demons, I think Paul, what, he lists the most extreme things to show us that there's no earthly thing or cosmic phenomenon that can separate you from the love of Christ. And, and when we were singing at the cross, what can separate me now? The answer is no one and nothing because we are more than conquerors, because our ultimate conqueror conquered our faith for us, and we trust in that, and we rely in that. So what is our responsibility? Day by day, we rise and we keep trusting in that. That's it. We just keep trusting in that again and again and again. And I just wanna invite the worship team up at this time as I close. And and like I said, I love the fact where we place this sermon series at the end of our, um, our, entitles, our entire series because perseverance of the saints, guys, it's not something we realize when we become a Christian for the first time, but the more you walk with Jesus and the more you walk with his people and, you know, like you get bruised and battered and broken at times, that's kind of when, when you realize like something, a truth like this comes around, runs alongside of you and it strengthens you to keep going. And I can only imagine how many Christians, are, you know, believers, saints that we have in this room who are just, you just feel like you're at your last leg, right? It's been a rough year, it's been a hard year, but how many of us need a message like this that said, hey, you can persevere. Uh, you can really, really persevere because God is the one who preserves your faith. Um, 
And as we close, okay, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but what if I lose my faith, right? And I didn't, I didn't touch on that, and I didn't touch on that on purpose. And the reason I didn't touch on that is because I don't think it's important. The Bible leaves no room for us as Christians to analyze people and say, like, are you really safe? Like, are you really preserved by God? You know, like, imagine if church was like that. And to be honest, church is sometimes like that where we analyze people like, hey, are you really saved? Like, are you really the chosen one? You know, like, um, but the Bible leaves no room for that. But what does the Bible, what does it actually do? It challenges Christians to say, no, 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 work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't, don't worry about everybody else. Where are you at with God? Are you growing in your convictions? And are you being compelled by the Jesus story? Or are we becoming dry to it? And if some of you are becoming dry to it, we're so happy you're here. You know, small groups are going to kick start again in, the, in September. Join a small group. Don't, don't keep your, your doubts and your, your disbeliefs hidden, but in a safe place, talk about it. If you feel your convictions just drying out, talk about it, voice it. There's no shame in that. It actually takes a lot of boldness and a lot of courage, so please do that. You know, please talk to one of us, uh, one of our elders, our deacons, whoever, you know, like talk to somebody about it because it's, it's a beautiful thing when we can come to a place in our faith and we say, man, I just don't know if I believe right now. Can we talk about it? And, and I believe that God's going to meet a lot of us there. And so please do that. Please do that. And it's going to be an amazing thing. And so can we all rise at this time as we pray together and as we close? I just want to. I just want to do uh, two prayers right now, um, and the prayer that I want to do is: Can we just pray for uh, ourselves right now in our faith? Can we come before God, who commits? He doesn't just start our faith, but He commits to sustaining it, and then He promises to carry us all the way to the end. Can we just come before Him and say, "Lord, can you remind me of this again?" And so let's just come before Him and let's ask Him, God, can you remind me of this truth all over again? So let's pray together at this time. Secondly, uh, the prayer that I want to pray is for our brothers and sisters uh, in Afghanistan. Um, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that Paul mentioned when he said distress, persecution, sword, famine, nakedness, that might not be real for us right now, but it is real for our brothers and sisters in another world of the country. Um, and I think there's, I, I read an article that said something about there's like 5,000 Christians there right now who are still actively sharing the message of the gospel in the midst of the, in the persecution that they're going through. And we as his church, can we also pray that God would keep them, right? And he will. You bet God's going to keep them. And that we can pray for strength in their hearts. 
that they would have that the reality of God would be so much greater than the reality of, of, of pain, reality of suffering, that the reality of Jesus would be so much more real. And if we can pray that God is somehow in his divine wisdom would keep them hidden from harm, keep them hidden from pain and suffering. So let's lift them up together as a community right now. So Father, I just want to say thank you um, that you are the one who started our faith. We thank you that you're the one who sustains our faith. And we want to say thank you that you're the one who promises to keep it for us all the way to the very end. Help us to trust in that and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Reveal the spots in our lives that we may be blind to. And for those of us who might be struggling to believe, Father, um, I pray that we would be able to talk about these things in, with boldness and courage and to feel uh, you comforting us even in those places of doubt and disbelief. We thank you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.